Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Fantastic. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. Happy Father's Day. Happy Man's Day. If you're not a father here, um, that's okay. You're a man, so we want to celebrate you too. Today we have maple bacon donuts just fresh made this morning from our farmer's market next door for all of you. And for those of you who are gluten-free, we did get you one too. There you go. That's just Nathan. So uh, we thought about him. So anybody else who's gluten-free today, we do have a donut for you. But uh, I'm happy you're here. So happy Father's Day. And I hope this is a great day for you. And I hope you get to be around your, your father. We actually are having a live stream today. So my dad is watching right now. And uh, you can always watch online as well. We do have a live stream that is now working, thank the Lord. And so again, if you're feeling like you need to uh, step out of the service and maybe not be in this room, but you want to sit in that room and the family room is open, there is a live stream in there as well. So fantastic. Well, we're going to get into the Word today. Um, I'm just uh, thankful uh, that anybody comes to church today. Anytime anyone shows up on a Sunday, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. People are coming to church. We're thankful that they're here. So I want to say thank you to everybody who came today. Thanks for coming out. And uh, I hope that uh, you're blessed today. The Lord gave me this message about two months ago. I was reading in my Bible, just doing my own little devotion thing, and I read across this verse, and immediately uh, God spoke to me and said, you need to share this on Father's Day. And, and so I was going to go another direction, but then uh, he reminded me that I need to be obedient and stop trying to do my own thing. And so I decided that I'm going to go this direction. And my encouragement to you today is whether you're a father, whether you're a man, or whether you're a female here today, and maybe you're looking for a man, this is what you need to look for. And if you've got a man who's not like this, you need to begin to pray God will get a hold of his heart and, uh, and that he'll begin to work towards these things that I'm going to talk with you about today. Uh, there are five things to becoming the, God, the man God called you, not the God man called you to be, but the, 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 the man God called you to be. And uh, we're going to talk about five things directly from the scripture and uh, that, that hopefully will encourage you today and inspire you in your journey and your walk with God. And so we're going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, and we're actually going to stay in our book that we've been in. You, there is version notes, so you can open up your version app, and all of, my, all of our notes are all available. And there might be some different ones, because I changed some things earlier this morning, uh, and uh, they're a little off, but some of them are right, so you'll be in the right track. Uh, but you're welcome to pull that out and go onto our version app and look at that. So fantastic. And last, before we get into it, just so you know, I always want to make sure people are aware that we do record our messages on Sunday, and those are all available to you online. So if you ever miss one or didn't get to hear one or need to go back, you can always go to our, our sermons page on our website and uh, listen on there, or subscribe to iTunes or, or Google Play. But those are places in which you can kind of catch up on what God's doing at our church and what God's saying. Fantastic. So the, the, the idea of this scripture is in 1 Corinthians chapter thir, uh, 16, verses 13 to 14. I'm going to read it in two translations. Both of them are very modern translations, the New Living Translation. Uh, and it says this, Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything with love. The message paraphrase says it like this. Keep your eyes open. Hold tight to your convictions. Give it all you've got. Be resolute and love without stopping. We live in a, um, a, a day and age today in our society that has, uh, I believe, kind of a battle between gender. We've got all sorts of conversations about gender and all sorts of conversations about 
the perspective of gender and, and the, the scope of gender. And when it comes down to uh, male and female, there seems to be this simmering, boiling pot in our society about the role of a man and the role of a woman. We find that it's a very common conversation if you ever go to uh, at work or even if you're watching a YouTube videos or if you're ever in conversation with someone who's kind of in tune with what's going on in society. Generally, the idea of gender will come up very strongly. And I believe as I studied this, uh, this idea here today, Paul here is talking directly to men. He's, he's, and I'll show you uh, why I believe that in a few moments, but he's talking directly to men because the Corinthian church was founded by Paul. He was there for a year and a half. He walked with them and journeyed with them as he shared his faith with them. They became followers of Jesus Christ and, and eventually he left and he went on to Ephesus. And while he was in Ephesus, the church began to fall apart. And James, you can turn this monitor all the way off. It's got a little buzz going on there. Thanks, man. And so there was uh, all this culture and all of this uh, society and all of these ways of doing things. Paul left and the church continued as it was uh, doing normal business. And little by little, the culture, the way of the world, just the way the world lives their lives began to kind of seep into the church. And so what happened was as men began to have uh, sexual relationships. One guy was having sex with his mother-in-law and, and another guy was going out. There's uh, shrines in the, in the temple uh, for Aphrodite and they would have uh, prostitutes, uh, uh, temple prostitutes, and these men were visiting temple prostitutes, and then they would come to church on Sunday. Other men were getting just full-on drunk during communion. They would be remembering the, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, and while they were taking it, they'd be drinking a bunch of wine, and by the end of it, they were completely intoxicated and drunk in the back of church while they're trying to do communion, and guy, the, uh, Uncle Larry's in the back saying, hey guys, I love this place. Uh, people were getting drunk, and uh, there was sexual promiscuity the church and there's division going on all across the church. And so Paul, at the very end of this letter, he's about to sign off. He's about to say, okay, these are the last remaining things I need to say. I need to talk to the men for a moment. And I need to let the men know there are some very important things that you have to do to become the man that God has called you to become. So I want to give you these five things. The first one is, is right here in the scripture, becoming the man of God, God created you to be to keep your eyes open, to be on guard. Keep your eyes open, be on guard. The idea of this, this whole uh, five things is it's almost like Paul is the general of this army and he's standing before his, his mighty men and he's standing there saying, this is exactly what you need to do. He's giving this militant discourse on what it means to fight in the army of God. The idea of on guard actually refers to the idea of keep awake, to be vigilant, a determined act of wakefulness. Now, I don't know if you've spent any time with my wife and I, but my wife has a problem with wakefulness. Um, if you've spent any time with us, you'll know she's getting better now. You can stay up past 10 for sure now. I get yelled at later, but it's okay. Um, but whenever we have, I'm just kidding, we're, we're good. But later, whenever you have people over with the first of our ministry, we'd have people over and we'd be doing a premarital counseling and we'd be sitting there and all of a sudden, literally, we'd be looking at each other talking and stuff like, yeah, I just really feel like, you know, when we were first married and all. <laughs> literally, she'd fall right asleep and then she'd go, 
come back to. Yeah, and so I was saying she would just like narcolepsy. She would just go out like cold. And she had this problem with wakefulness. And when we were first married, we had some friends, and she just, right when she got there, she just was there for maybe 30 minutes, and she just laid on the couch and fell asleep. And uh, we're no longer friends with those people because they were very, very offended. But I thought, it's okay. She's got a disease. It's all right. But... Wakefulness is a problem in our home, but really what the idea here is that it's a determination that I will not go to sleep, that I will stay awake. Actually, the idea of this word to be on guard speaks about an army sentry. It speaks specifically to the idea of a military guard standing at the gate while a, the gate, uh, the gate uh, is down, car pulls up and he, can I see your identification and can I see the paperwork? Make sure you're here for a good reason. Let's search under the car for explosives and hey, are you carrying any firearms and what's the purpose of your visit? The purpose of this guard was to make sure that nothing got through the gate that was not supposed to be there. He stood at the gate, and when anyone would look suspicious, when anything sniffed like it was sideways, when the documents didn't line up, they'd say, sir, you need to back your car out and get out of here. You're not allowed to be here. The idea of being on guard is that the man has this, uh, uh, this expectation and responsibility, this God-given responsibility to be on guard, to be a gate, uh, a gate guard, the guard of your home, the guard of your church, the guard of your heart, the guard of your purity, to stand on guard to stay awake and make sure nothing gets into my marriage, nothing gets into my home, nothing gets into my family, nothing gets into my friends, nothing will get into my doctrine or my theology or my faith in God because my job is to stand on guard for my heart and my family. And this guard, this sentry, this idea really comes in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. It said the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. I want you to really notice something very unique. This is a biblical standard that I think we often miss when it comes to this societal conversation about gender. This verse was written and man, women, well, female was not created yet. In fact, female, the woman was not even the first one to be created. It was man and then they created animals to see if that would be suitable. And then recognizing that there was no equal partner to partner with in the relationship with the, the, the joint responsibility to serve God's kingdom, God took a rib out of man and created woman and said, this woman, whoa, man, look at her. She was the perfect fit for this man. And so you see that in this very verse right here, male, male was the one that God created, put on the planet, and he said, I want you to, I'm going to put you in this garden, this perfect place, euphoric environment that was perfect. Man was perfect, the environment was perfect, the garden was perfect, and he says, I want you to take care of it. That word, to take care of it, actually means to guard it, to keep it, to protect it. So from the very foundation of time, your responsibility was to guard your garden. Your responsibility, before the, the woman was even involved, before uh, animals were even on the scene, your job was to make sure that you guard the garden of your heart, to guard the garden of your home, to guard the, guard the garden of your environment, of your children's minds, your children's hearts. you got to guard the garden. That is your God-given responsibility. And today, many centuries are sitting back with a donut in their mouth, falling asleep, and in reality, all these things are coming by. My front door, the kids are seeing things, and my wife's thinking things, and life's happening, and what's going on? I don't know how to control this. What's going on in my home, and my life? It's because it started with our permission to let these things in our home. 
It's not your wife's responsibility. It's not your child's responsibility. And really, it's not even God's responsibility. It's yours. He gave the responsibility to you. And we know this. We see this very clearly that in Genesis, guard the garden of your heart. As I mentioned, it's your home, your heart, your marriage, your children, your job, your relationship with Christ. And look at this. Just one chapter later, the serpent was the shrewdest of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? Notice the serpent is, as we know, the enemy of our soul, the devil, was the shrewdest of all the wild animals, so therefore animals at that time could talk. And one day he asked the woman, so who's he? Satan, the devil, the enemy of their soul, the one who wanted to destroy them, somehow got into the garden and was standing toe-to-toe with Eve by a tree that they weren't supposed to be eating from. Where is Adam? She's having a full-on conversation with the devil. She's talking about God being a liar. She's starting to embrace ideas about God and the nature of God and the character of God. And, well, God didn't really say, God said I couldn't, like, touch it. You know, well, God actually said it's fine to touch it. He said you just can't eat it. Little nuances of what they were saying. And here, here's Eve, the wife, having a conversation with the devil. They're, they're beginning to question the character and the nature of God. He eventually convinces her to take of the fruit. And it says in the scripture in Genesis uh, 6 to 7, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, And pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. He was with her. We see the very beginning, the very start of of a, a relationship between a man and a woman, a female and a male, meant to be in marriage with one another with the responsibility to guard their heart, guard the garden, guard their home, to work it and to take care of it. The wife, uh, unfortunately, the wife was the one who had the conversation. Uh, Eve was the one who had the conversation with the devil. Eve was the one who took of the fruit. Eve was the one who ate of it. But Adam was the one who did nothing. At least she was trying to do something. She had a desire for more, and she was obviously the leader in this relationship. Adam just stood there with his hands in his pocket and said, okay. And from that moment forward, something, the trajectory of male and female, God's, and if you read it in Scripture, it actually says very clearly that the curse of woman would be that there would be pain in childbirth and that you would want to have uh, uh, control over your husband. You'll desire it, but you cannot and so there's a desire in a woman to lead. There's a desire in this woman to do better. But, but based on that curse, because of that apple, there's a shift when instead of being an equal, our society now wants to try to do this all the time, when in reality we're called to be equals. And so the woman's trying to control the man and that causes problems and the man gets frustrated and so he tries to control her and so it's doing this and this is the problem of the curse. So a woman has a problem in childbirth and now a man no longer gets to enjoy the work where you will work by the sweat of your brow. Before, it was his greatest desire to work. Now, it's a struggle. It's hard. Where am I, what am I fulfilled and what am I doing with my life? How am I gonna get there? And all of these things from that one moment where all Adam had to do was say, hey, devil, you are not welcome in our garden. 
You are not welcome to speak to my wife like that. You're trying to tell my wife that she's not beautiful and that she's not a woman of God and that she's not a good mother. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. You are not allowed in my home. You cannot bring nightmares to my children. I cast you out of my home. I will not allow you to walk into this place and torment my children and torment my mind and torment my heart and tempt me to do things that I shouldn't be doing. I won't allow it. I'm gonna guard my garden. I'm gonna be a sentry at my gate. I need to check your papers, sir. You look like a snake. I'm not letting you in. This is the responsibility of men to be on guard, to be a sentry, to stand and watch. And really, 1 Peter says this, 5.8, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, why could Peter write this? Peter wrote this, it sounds like Genesis chapter two and three. But why would Peter be able to write this? It's because Peter himself had a problem with this very thing. Look at this scripture in Mark 14. They came to an area called Gethsemane and Jesus told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him and he plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony. He told them, I feel bad enough right now to die. Stay here and keep vigil with me. Going a little ahead, he fell to the ground and prayed for a way out. Papa, Father, you can, can't you? Get me out of this. Take this cup away from me, but please, not what I want. What do you want? It says in the next verse that he came back and found them sound asleep and he said, Peter, Simon... You went to sleep on me. Can't you stick it out with me a single hour? Stay alert. Be in prayer so you don't enter the danger zone without even knowing it. Don't be naive. Part of you is eager, ready for anything in God, but another part is as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. See, many men today in our society, and I say this specifically to followers of Jesus, have drifted into the danger zone and you don't even realize it. And we're naive to the idea while the enemy has a scheme and a strategy to, to destroy you and your family, we're just taking it easy, taking back and taking a passive role because of that control problem between a man and a woman. It's just natural. It's in our being. And that's where most divorces come from. That's where most challenges come from. It's this idea of control. And so if a man could learn that I need to work through that challenge, begin to have some tools to have an equalized relationship with my my wife to serve my wife in love there becomes a balance of love and respect and now you can say okay I'm not going to be afraid to, to, to engage in warfare for my wife and for my marriage and for my children because I'm realizing that this is on my shoulders see this is how many of us are on this screen but really I believe you're supposed to be like this minus the, the bikini outfit hopefully <laughs> Like 300, ah! I'm not gonna let that, ah! Eager, eager to stand tall, eager to make sure that nothing will attack my family, amen? The second thought here is to hold tight to your convictions, stand firm in your faith. Hold tight to your convictions, stand firm in your faith. How is your walk with Jesus? How is your purity? How is your integrity? How's your time in God's word? How's your service to others? We find that in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians 2, I was actually gonna originally preach this short little snippet I'm about to share with you, but I decided to bring it into this message. Paul talks about three different types of men or women, but let's just call it men for today. It's in the uh, chapter two of 1 Corinthians, Paul identifies three types of people. 
The first person he identifies is the natural person. This is the person who does not have the spirit of God. This would be a person who's an unbeliever, someone who doesn't know God, isn't in relationship with God, and that would be every single one of us in this room prior to our relationship with Jesus Christ. That natural person, the, the, the word natural there, would actually insinuate that the same breath that's in this person is in the same breath that's in all of us, the same breath that would be in an animal. And so the same breath that's in a dog is the same breath that's in me. That's a natural man. They don't have the spiritual realm. And so it would make sense that when a believer or a follower of Jesus says, okay, I'm not gonna go cheat on my wife or I'm not gonna go out and live this immoral lifestyle because I believe God wants me to honor my wife. But people often in the world would say, that doesn't make, I don't have that framework. It doesn't make any sense to me. Why don't you just go enjoy yourself? I don't understand. Why are you giving your money to the church? Or why are you giving money to that missionary in, 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 in Pakistan? Or why are you doing these different things? things. I don't understand the framework. Why don't you just live for yourself? The framework of what it means to be a follower of God does not make sense to the natural man and just because it has not been revealed to them yet. And so the second person we see is what I believe a very challenging one I'll call the carnal man or the worldly man. This man, it says in uh, chapter three, verse one, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. This man or woman is the individual who has accepted Jesus Christ, but has not been uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit, has not experienced the indwelling of the spirit of God. And so you're a Christian, but your lifestyle, your perspectives, your behaviors, your ideas, your thought processes, all these different things have not fully funneled through a transformation of God God's presence in your heart and mind. So this person, which I believe is a good majority of individuals who go to church on Sunday, who attend a church, but aren't actually emulating the lifestyle that God wants you to emulate, this is a mere carnal infant follower of Jesus. It's just a simple thing. That's how the Bible puts it. Now the third man, the third man and woman, which is what I want you to come to today, is the spiritual man, the spiritually mature person. This person, look what it says, judges all things, questions, examines, and applies what the Holy Spirit reveals, yet is himself judged by no one. The unbeliever cannot judge and understand the believer's spiritual nature. And so the idea here is that you're a spiritual man. Not only have you accepted Jesus Christ into your life, but there has been one, there's only one difference maker between the natural and the carnal man and the spiritual man. The only difference between the two is that the spiritual man has experienced a transformation by the renewal of their mind. Because look what he says in verse 16. For who has known the mind and purposes of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ to be guided by his thoughts and purpose. So as followers of Jesus Christ, you move from a natural man, you accept Jesus into your life, you become an infant in Christ, and that's okay, but you can't stay as an infant because then you're in a grown body, but you're still acting like a two-year-old. And so you got to grow up a little bit. Your body's growing. Your mind's got to go with it. Your reality's got to go with it. And you become a spiritual mature. And the difference between that person is that the person who's experienced the transformation of God and the transformation of their mind, they have experienced the mind of Christ. They've no longer allowing themselves to adapt or conform to the ideas, the patterns, the ways of living of the world, but I fully embrace the idea of the Word of God as my standard of living, and now that conviction, I won't budge an inch on that conviction of truth. We see that in this scripture here, that 
In Romans chapter, Romans chapter 12 too, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but, be, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing, and it is absolutely perfect. Look at this, Ephesians 4, 22. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, okay? So there's the natural and the carnal man. Then he says, okay, instead, look at the first word. What's it say? Let. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and truly holy. And so what you do is you make a decision as a man. To start being a man. No longer live as an infant any longer. No longer to live as a natural world. I'm going to choose today that I'm going to be a spiritual man. Therefore, I have to lay down my pride. I have to lay down my ideas and my preconceived notions of how things should be. And I have to open my heart and mind up to the Spirit and say, all right, Holy Spirit, I'm going to let you transform, metamorphosize my mind so that now I can begin to see things the way you see things so that my convictions, I will stand on them and will not move an inch. Jesus did this, actually. This is crazy what Jesus did. He's a kind of a nuts uh, person in this scripture. John chapter two, in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables and exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Jesus took the time to go home Hey, mom. Hey, honey, how's it going? Good. Just home to make a whip. Just imagine Jesus on thing, whittling. Stupid money changers. He has such conviction that he took the time to go make a whip. I love how it says that he didn't buy a whip. He didn't go borrow a whip. He made a whip. And he went and made his whip and said, I am going to invest my time into making sure that nothing will budge my conviction. I'm not going to move an inch. I'm going to go home and I'm going to make a whip and I'm going to walk up to that false idea of God. I'm going to walk up to that perspective about my faith. I'm going to walk up to that, that, that thing that stands outside of the, the written word of God. If it's outside the written word of God, it ain't truth. And I'm going to slap my whip at it. Say, no, nope, you're not coming to my home. You won't accept that idea. Oh, no, you won't receive that deception. I'm going to hold firm to my convictions as a man of God, a man of purity, a man of integrity. I won't budge an inch. Why? Because I've been renewed by the Holy Spirit. I've been transformed by the renewal of my mind. And now I see things the way they should be lived out in my life. The third one here today, I'll just show you a picture of Jesus whipping people. Look at that. This one's even better. Whoa. The third one here, give it all you got. Be courageous. This is a good one. The Greek word there, and the, it's actually written this way in the English Standard Version, is act like men. I love this. Paul says, start acting like men. Man up. That's what he's saying. Man up. Stop being so immature. Now don't be offended at me. This is what Paul said. I'm just reading his words. He says, stop sleeping around. Stop getting drunk during church. Stop adapting your lifestyle to the patterns of this world. Stop it. Be the man God called you to be. Man up. Act like a man. The word here means bravely. It means 
courageous. Now, I think it's interesting that in our culture where we say, oh, you can't really say that's offensive. Well, the Bible teaches it, so I'm going to say it. We need to man up. We need to act like men and take the responsibility that God's called us to take. And the only reason I can share this with you is because I spent hours studying this myself, getting myself kicked in my own butt. Reading this word, realizing, oh my gosh, I got to man up. I got to stop being so immature in those things. I got to stop talking that way and acting like way. I got responsibilities. I got a family to take care of. I got, I got a mind to take care of. I got a heart to take care of. I got a church to take care of. I got to start being the man that God called me to be. Now, this is the only time this word is used in the entire New Testament. The only other translated word we find is in the Old Testament, Hezekiah, David, but now my most favorite is Joshua. Joshua comes to a point in his journey where he's about to lead 1.5 million people right into the promised land. He's about to lead them into the call of God into Canaan. After 40 years of walking through the desert, Moses made some mistakes, and so now he's not gonna go into the promised land. Joshua's got 1.5 people to get them motivated, to get them into the promised land, to fight these massive 10-foot giants called the Nephilim, the, the Goliaths of their environment. They've got grasshoppers. They've got all sorts of big giants and things. And here's jo Joshua trying to figure it out all out, trying to figure out what he's going to do. And God comes and speaks to him and he uses the same word. And he says, be strong and be courageous for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them during turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything that you do. Look at this. Then he says, now let's look what it means to be courageous. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to do everything, to obey everything written. And look at this, only then. Men, I want to encourage you to today, if you want to be successful in everything that you do, if you want to be prosperous as a husband, if you want to be prosperous as a soon-to-be husband, if you want to be prosperous as a father, you need to begin to study and meditate on your word. Study the word, meditate on the word, obey the word. Only then. You will not experience the success and prosperity that God has for your life if you are trying to live a life outside of being obedient to the word of God in your life. Only then can you be prosperous and successful. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Come on, be courageous here today. Let God come into your life when you read the word. Let him expose things in your life. Let him expose that pride. Let him expose that, that hidden addiction to pornography or let him expose that hidden lust that you've been dealing with. Let him expose it to you. Let him expose the attitudes. Let him expose the pride. Let him expose the expectations of your life. Let him expose the, the hurt you've had from your wife where you guys have fought and there's a bit of, uh, a bit of anger about how she treated you or let, let, let God come and heal the areas of your, your, the fact that your father hasn't been as nice to you or has treated you improperly or that there was something wrong. Let God God, expose the areas of your life and I promise you as you allow the word of God to wash over you, you will begin to see the fact, oh my gosh, I can do this. I can be a great dad. I can be a great father. I can be the man God called me to be. Why? Because I aligned myself to the word of God and said I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be a man and I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to go in courage and go in faith and believe that I am a man of God. 
Don't let the word of God be a byproduct to your journey. Let the word of God be the standard by which you make every decision and live your life. The third one here today, or fourth one, I'm sorry, is be ready to fight. Prepare yourself. Be strong. Be ready to fight. Prepare yourself. Be strong. This word here speaks to the idea of growing strength. It doesn't speak to being powerful. It speaks to becoming powerful, becoming strong, growing in your strength, growing in your journey. It talks about preparation. We see here in Ephesians chapter 6, 10 to 13, and final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. The word strategy there is methodia, methodical, scheme, a thought or plan to accomplish a goal. If I went into battle, I was a a general of an army, I'm going to have a plan. I'm going to have a way to rout the enemy. I'm going to, oh, this is where they're strong. They're really good archers. We can't get, we, you know, we got to really get closer. And, and man, the, 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 the javelin guy, they got a big giant in the back. He's hiding around that thing there. And we got to route this way and flank him on that side. I got to have a plan. But what, what often it's like, it's like we go into battle and the person we're fighting against has this incredible elaborate strategy. And we walk in saying, I have no idea what I'm about to do. And you just walk into battle. You got no weapons. You got no armor. You've got no uh, idea. And we just walk in. I'm not really sure what I'm doing here, but I'm going to try to take you out now. We have no plan and no strategy. Why? If the devil has such a significant strategy for your life, I want to remind you something about the devil. You need to hear what I'm about to say. The devil is not omnipresent. The devil can only be in one place at one time. Right now, the devil is actually probably on the other side of the world somewhere, and he's got little minions who are working on his strategy. Think about that for a minute. The devil can only be in one place at one time. That's his nature. He's a created angel. But our God can be present everywhere. And so what we do is we assume that the only non-omnipresent Satan, it does not have strategies to destroy you. And I want you to know he's got this layer with your name on it. He presses a little button and a big thing comes down and all his little minions stand there and they say, okay, today I'm going to go try to get Courtney. I'm going to derail her in her thinking today. I'm going to discourage the, the junk out of her. I'm going to try to cause problems here. Today, Nathan, you know what I'm going to do to Nathan today? I'm going to make it harder and harder to get that client. And I'm going to come and frustrate him. And I'm going to come and bring fear and doubt into his mind. You know what? I'm going to tempt him in these certain areas. This is what I'm going to do here. He has all these strategies. You and I need to learn that we have to prepare ourselves for the battle that we will face every single day or we won't win. You got to prepare yourself. 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 Look what, look, continuing what it says. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of this, of this dark unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. Look at this. So you will be able to resist. Notice it doesn't say stop. It says resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. I'm gonna say something to you and I know this probably shouldn't say this in church, but man, serving Jesus is kind of hard sometimes, guys. Look what Peter says. Look how many times he says this. He says, make every effort to respond to God's promises. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you'll be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look what he says. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting they've been cleansed. Look at this. Dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among the believers. Work hard 
Make an effort. Try hard. It takes time and effort for you and I to figure this thing out. You got to have people you strategize with. You got to have men every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 a.m. I know. 6.30 a.m. We meet. We study our word together and we talk and that's our time where we sit around and say, let's make a strategy, guys. Let's strategize together on how we're going to be the men God's called us to be. There's a young boy. He came to a to a lumber mill and wanted a job, went to the foreman of, of the lumber mill and said, I'd like, I'd like to take out trees for you. I'd like to fell trees. Okay, show me how you could do it. So this guy brings out his ax and he takes this tree down really quickly and the guy was super impressed. says, you got a job, man. So he shows up on Monday, shows up on Tuesday, shows up on Thursday, or Wednesday, shows up on Thursday. And on Thursday, his foreman comes up to him and says, hey, just so you know, you can grab your paycheck at the end of the day. He goes, Doesn't, aren't paychecks picked up on Fridays? He says, yeah, we're going to have to let you go. Monday, you were killing it. But now by Thursday, you're the bottom of, the, you're the bottom of, the, of the, our chart. You're not bringing down as many trees. He says, you know what? I'm here every day. I work hard. I go through my coffee break. I was early. I stayed late. I worked really, really hard. He goes, I, this isn't fair. Why are you firing me? He says, have you sharpened your axe? Well, I was too busy to sharpen my axe. I mean, I was trying to get in early. I was fighting traffic and, you know, I was talking to my friends. You know, I didn't even take a coffee break. I just didn't have time to sharpen my axe. He goes, well, if you'd sharpened your axe, you would have been the top person in this company. See, you and I have to sharpen our axe. We just get too busy. We just start doing other stuff. We think, okay, it's, now life's busy. Life is never too busy to sharpen that axe. That axe is the very thing that's going to get you to be the man of God that he's called you to be. You won't accomplish the things God's called you to accomplish as a business owner, as a man of God, unless you get yourself into God's word every day. Lastly here today, as we go back into a time of worship, love without stopping. Do everything with love. As I looked at this, I actually rewrote this point five or six times because I had a really cliche kind of ending here. <laughs> if you look at Genesis 2.15, we see it says, Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. That word work it means work it. Not that. It means uh, to serve. To serve, to labor. So from the very beginning of time when God created man, he created a man to serve. In our world today, we live in a world that is not about serving others. It's about serving me. It's just in our culture. It's just in our world. And the Bible talks about it in 1 John. It says everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, from the world. This is probably, I, I can't speak, I'm not a woman, but probably for men, this is a big deal. The lust of our eyes, temptation constantly in an over-sexualized world, it's hard for us as men, to be the men that God's called us to be because we're bombarded with it on a regular basis. But not only, not only in the area of sexuality, but also just in all sorts of things. What do we see? The cars, the homes, the, the better lifestyle. We just, as men, we want to provide for our family. We want to prove, maybe it's your father, maybe it's your grandfather, maybe it's your uncle. You want to prove in this life that I'm going to do everything I said I'm going to do. This is proving lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh, mostly I think, is the pride of life where we live our lives where we really believe that we, we create this world where we think we don't need God. It's pride. And it's normal. I deal with it every day. 
this idea that I don't, I don't really need to press into God. I don't really need to press in and create a world for myself where I can really connect with God because I have a natural capacity to do a lot. I can do this on my own. I really don't need God. And I find myself engaging in the pride of life. And what we've done is we've strayed away from our original intention. We serve ourselves. We serve our own needs. And we forget that the only way to truly, truly, truly serve our spouse, serve our children, serve our church, is if we first experience the love of the Father in our lives. Look what First John says. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God lo- so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. As men, it seems a little bit unsavory for you and I to be emotional beings. To stop and say, okay, Dad, I'm ready to come back to a place with you where you're my father and I'm that little boy in your arms and then I'm just gonna let you love me and I'm gonna lay down my pride. I'm gonna lay down my arrogance. I'm gonna lay down my inhibitions. I'm gonna lay down my fear. I'm gonna lay down my embarrassment. Does anyone see me? I don't want anyone to see me get a tear in my eye or I don't want anyone to see me lay down my pride because I don't want anyone to know that I need my dad's love so much. I need my father. You can't do anything in your life if it's not founded in the love of God. You can love on your own strength for a while, but eventually it goes away and you stop feeling it and you stop sensing it. You've got to start every single day experiencing and welcoming the love of your father into your life. You've got to let the father love you. You've got to let him pour his love out on your life. You've got to experience the love of the father in your life. And the moment you begin to do that, you'll begin to do all of these things and become the man that God has called you to become. Would you stand for me this morning? We're going to worship together. We pray, Father, I just thank you today for every man in this room. I pray as we worship you this morning, Father, for just the last few moments here, that God, I just pray in the name of Jesus Christ that your love would shower over us today. Would you remind us, God, of our why? Why do we do what we do? Why are we here? God, we are here to experience the love of Jesus Christ. And as we worship you today, God, I pray that you would meet us where we're at. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.